0: Genomics Revolution. Brad Goodner here. It's great to be back with you after some more student-hosted episodes of Genomics Revolution. Did the title of today's episode bring a chuckle or a smile to your face? It is one of many memorable lines from one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. Facini, the big-brained Sicilian kidnapper, always says, Inconceivable! Every time, the so-called man in black makes it past another huge obstacle. Vincenzi's hired swordsman, the Spaniard Enego Montoya, finally turns to Vincini and says, You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. It makes me chuckle every time. Enego Montoya's phrase could also apply to a word that all biologists know, prokaryote. It is, in my opinion, as I tell my students early and often, the dreaded P word that has outlived its usefulness and should be never used again. Prokaryote literally means before kernel or without kernel, where kernel refers to a membrane-bound nucleus within a cell. Prokaryote is literally the antonym of eukaryote, which means true kernel, or having a membrane-bound nucleus within a cell. The prokaryotic eukaryote Distinction played a major role in how biologists, and especially microbiologists like myself, looked at organisms in the mid to late 20th century as biology became more cellular-focused. The terms are attributed back to Édouard Chaton, a French biologist who studied protozoa. As described in a great 2005 review by Jan Sapp, Chaton first used the terms prokaryote and eukaryote in a 1925 research paper where he was trying to phylogenetically place a particular protozoan species. Building on work that goes back to Ernst Haeckel and others in the late 19th century, Chaton made a case that his protozoan species of interest shared essential features seen in other eukaryotes, namely a membrane-bound nucleus, a flagella or cilia with associated basal bodies, and exhibited mitosis. On the other hand, bacteria, spirochetes, and blue-green algae, what we now call cyanobacteria, lacked all these structures and were lumped under the term prokaryote. Chaton did not care about relationships within prokaryotes, but he did care deeply that his beloved protozoans were eukaryotes, just like fungi, animals, and plants. So why should we care about this term prokaryote so much? It turns out that Chaton's terms gave two famous microbiologists Roger Stanier, and C.B. Van Neel, a way out of a problem that vexed them for over two decades. Stanier and Van Neel wanted a robust way to infer evolutionary relationships amongst bacteria like E. coli, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, Treponema pallidum, and Mycobacterium tuberculosis that we have heard about in past genomic revolution episodes. They had tried using cell shape and biochemical tests, but with no success. In their 1962 research paper entitled The Concept of a Bacterium, Stanier and Van Neel had reached a point of utter frustration. But Chaton's terms at least gave them a way of saying what their bacteria were not. They were not eukaryotes. They were prokaryotes. Whether or not Van Neel and Stanier believed that all prokaryotes share a more recent common ancestor with each other than any of them shared with eukaryotes is not totally clear. However, it was this very hypothesis that most microbiologists accepted, just on the grounds of cell complexity. Robert Whitaker, in his 1969 science article, appeared to agree with this hypothesis with his five-kingdom model for classifying all cellular life on Earth. He had all the prokaryotes in the kingdom Monera. Yet around this same time, data started emerging that held the real answer. Emil Zuckerkandl and Linus Pauling in 1965 talked of DNA, RNA, and protein sequences as information macromolecules. In fact, they were molecules of history because mutations were markers that were laid down over evolutionary time. It kept getting easier and cheaper to sequence these linear polymers. And finally, in 1977, Carl Woese and George Fox had enough data for the right macromolecule the 16s 18s ribosomal RNA found in all ribosomes in all cellular life forms, to answer the question. Do all eukaryotes share a more recent common ancestor with each other than with prokaryotes? Their data clearly said yes. Do all prokaryotes share a more recent common ancestor with each other than with eukaryotes? The data was also strikingly, but now it was No the prokaryotes split into two groups that appeared to be equidistant from each other as they were from eukaryotes. Woese and Fox called these two groups eubacteria and archaea bacteria and suggested that these groups were two of three so-called primary kingdoms for cellular life on Earth. With more data in later papers, the names were shortened to bacteria and archaea to sit alongside of eukaryae not as primary kingdoms, but rather as the three domains of life. The highest, most encompassing evolutionary groupings. Even the lauded New York Times took notice and put it on the front page. Third domain of life found. As a freshman at Texas and m University in the early 1980s, I got the chance to hear George Fox give a series of visiting lectures on evolution. I still have my notes somewhere in my office. I don't think I really grasped at that time how much Wozen Fox had turned the microbial world, and quite literally the entire biological world, upside down. As more and more data accumulated, it became increasingly clear that the Archaea were a truly distinct group. At first, we thought they were limited to just a few weird, extreme habitats, but now we know they are everywhere, including inside our own GI tracts. We heard about one archaea genome several episodes ago, that of thermoplasma acetophyllum. In the next few episodes, we will hear about a few more genomes from this third domain of life. Stay tuned to expand your horizons, but please let that dreaded P word rest in peace. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Talk to you later.